This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee on day nine of the 60-day session. A new report from the Miami Herald lends more credence to complaints that the governor's trading COVID vaccinations for votes and campaign donations. Ron DeSantis calls it nonsense and accuses the media of hating on wealthy seniors. I think it's a mistake to try to demonize certain seniors. I think there's some elements of particularly, you know, the, the, the partisan corporate media who doesn't want people being vaccinated who disagree with them politically. That's insane. The state reported 132 additional COVID fatalities Tuesday. Our death toll hit 32,481. A House committee approves a bill to slap limits on the amount of THC in medical marijuana. The sponsor, Representative Spencer Roach, wants to stop people from using medicinal weed for recreational purposes. We do know that people, doctors and patients, are taking advantage of our medical program to do two things, get rich and get high, period. Critics of the bill claim Roach is trying to gut Florida's medical marijuana program. A House committee votes today on a bill that combines God and guns, the ultimate Florida combo. Patty Brigham with the League of Women Voters says House Bill 259 and the companion measure, Senate Bill 498, are bad news. These bills are very concerning because they would allow concealed carry permit holders not just to carry guns into houses of worship, but into houses of worship that have schools on their property or schools that rent or lease to houses of worship. And we believe these bills would open the door to guns on campuses, which is what we have been fighting for years. The Senate version of that bill was approved Tuesday in the Criminal Justice Committee. A new analysis of the 2020 election shows there were a lot fewer problems with vote by mail than anyone expected. And three quarters of the ballots that were flagged for errors were fixed in time to be counted. Yet Republican lawmakers are still planning to place all sorts of new restrictions on voting by mail because they've bought into Donald Trump's fraud narrative. Rather than seeking to improve access to voting, improve, they seem hell-bent on uh, addressing non-issues, fueled by misinformation to their base. And um, it's all based on blatant lies and misinformation. Florida's attorney general is suing the White House over immigration policy, saying changes imposed by the Biden administration will cost Florida millions of dollars. We'll also have your calendar of events and the story of a Florida man busted after police asked for his license and he showed them a bag of cannabis gummies. But first, a word from the sponsors. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast on Florida politics, and we are much obliged. This public health crisis has shown our one-size-fits-all education system does not meet the needs of every child. Senate Bill 48 rethinks education and provides needed flexibility for students and families, giving students the tools and resources they need to unleash their potential. You can make a difference and improve our education system by visiting fledreform.com to tell your lawmaker to support SB48. Paid for by Americans Prosperity, Florida. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Wednesday, March 10th. This is National Pack Your Lunch Day, National No Smoking Day, and National Ranch Day. The dressing, not the cattle. On this date in 1783, the USS Alliance fought and won the last naval battle of the Revolutionary War. It happened off the shores of Cape Canaveral. In 1969, James Earl Ray pleaded guilty to the murder of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And one year ago today, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo deployed the National Guard after 108 cases of COVID-19 were detected within a one-mile radius in the city of New Rochelle. 
The state health department reported 4,426 new cases of COVID-19 Tuesday and 132 additional fatalities. Our death toll has reached 32,481 and there have been almost 1,953,000 cases of the disease in Florida since the beginning of the pandemic. Emails and text messages obtained by the Miami Herald show that the controversial Lakewood Ranch vaccination pod in Manatee County was choreographed by the organizers and the governor's office to try to help him win re-election next year. The pop-up site was limited to residents of two wealthy zip codes in Manatee County and a county commissioner included herself and the Lakewood Ranch developer on the VIP list to get shots. When asked about that story, Governor DeSantis dismissed it and suggested the biased news media didn't want people in wealthy, Republican-leaning neighborhoods to get vaccinated. No, that's nonsense. So if you look at if you look at Manatee at the time, they were one of the worst states in the in, or worst counties in the in the state for senior coverage. They were like 20 some percent. I had some counties that were 50 percent at that. This is just a few weeks ago. So we said, where can we go to make an impact? So we did a senior pod at Lakewood Ranch, which was very successful. Thousands of seniors got it. Then we expanded the retail footprint in Manatee, which also helped. And then we did another pod, I think a week or two later. So now if you look at Manatee's coverage, they're well over 50%. So the first two months of vaccine availability, they were in the 20s. And then three weeks, about three weeks later, they're over in the 50s. So what we did worked in Manatee. We're not done in Manatee, but that's what it was about. When you have counties that are lagging behind, we want to try to be able to bring extra vaccine there. It was a successful mission. Uh, it had a lot of success. The seniors liked it. And at the end of the day, they needed to get those coverage rates up about seniors. And so I think it's a mistake to try to demonize certain seniors. I think there's some elements of particularly you know, the, the, the partisan corporate media who doesn't want people being vaccinated who disagree with them politically. That's insane. So I think it's been, been the right thing to do. I think the numbers have borne it out. It's been very, very effective. And we're going to continue to go where seniors are until we get the coverage where we need to be across the state. We're almost, almost every county, non-rural county, is at 50% more seniors. We have a couple more that we've got to get up there. Uh, but we've made a lot of strides over the last few weeks, and we're going to keep doing that. DeSantis also claimed last week that the state had nothing to do with the vaccination of more than 1,200 residents of a wealthy gated enclave in the Florida Keys. But it turned out the hospital system that provided the vaccine was asked to do it by the governor's office. A showdown over Florida's medical marijuana law. State Representative Spencer Roach of Lee County has filed a bill to limit the amount of THC in smokable marijuana to just 10 percent, which is much weaker than the stuff you find in dispensaries today. Roach says he's doing it for the patients. Please help me protect and ensure the safety of the almost 500,000 Floridians who are using medicinal marijuana and honor the wishes and respect the decision of the almost 7 million voters who voted to authorize a medicinal marijuana program in the state of Florida by ensuring that this program is both accessible and safe. We have a responsibility to act here and we have an opportunity to do so before it's too late. Florida has been here before. Let's get it right this time. I urge you to help me help our constituents and keep this pro program safe. But Representative Carlos Guillermo Smith of Orlando says there's nothing unsafe about medical marijuana. He asked Representative Roach to cite exactly how many patients had overdosed. Could you please share with us the uh, adverse cases uh, of medical cannabis patients in Florida since we have a half a million registered uh, that justifies, I suppose, the THC cap? While we don't have evidence 
um, that exist in empirical form of adverse effects on patients, we do know that people, doctors and patients, are taking advantage of our medical program to do two things, get rich and get high, period. And I think in the state of Florida, we have seen this play out here before in Florida. We know how it ends, and we don't need a sequel. And I'm asking you to act today to prevent that. Representative Smith says this bill could end up banning the standard leafy dried marijuana known as flour because they have more than 10% THC. Now, Roach says he's doing this to protect the medical marijuana patients, but none of them testified in favor of his bill. They were all against it, and Representative Michael Gottlieb of Davie noticed. I'm troubled by the fact that there's not one person from the community here speaking in favor of the bill. I'm troubled by the fact that we're using policy to guide our decision-making as opposed to common sense and empirical data. I'm troubled by the fact that we're, that we're not listening to doctors who are experts in the field. Um, and I can tell you, what we're doing really doesn't make sense. We're, we're missing out on a huge revenue source by not having full recreational marijuana, and we're creating a scheme that is just completely backwards And it really, truly makes no sense. And we're not listening to the people that are coming before us and testifying. And again, there's no support in support of this bill. It really, truly just makes no sense. And I urge you to vote down on this bill. Even some of the Republicans on the House Public Health Subcommittee had a problem with the bill. Sam Killebrew of Winter Haven voted yes, but he says that may not happen again unless there are changes. I don't like this bill. I think we are, again, getting between the patient uh, and the doctor. Um, But I will be up on this bill, hopefully, that we can get some changes before it ever hits the floor. Representative Bob Rommel of Naples was another reluctant Republican who supported the bill but still has problems with it. I'm going to support it this stop, but I have another big concern, too, is for those patients that, you know, have chronic uh, pain where their doctor may recommend a higher dose. My, you know, my mom suffers from horrendous arthritis, and she can't take opioids because some some other issues with her body. And I don't know what medicine she takes, so I don't know if she takes this or not. But, um, you know, I've seen my mom actually cry because of pain, and she couldn't get something that would control it. And, um, you know, to watch her mom cry because she's in pain, you know, at this stage, I'm going to support it. And, you know, hopefully me and you can work on, you know, especially for those patients that may need that higher dose. So thank you. The debate over THC levels has also drawn the attention of Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed. Her office runs the state hemp program, and she supports legalization of marijuana, so she is no fan of this bill. Yeah, this bill is absolutely outrageous. Uh, The fact that we have almost 500,000 plus on the registry and patients that are utilizing all delivery mechanisms that are helping with their conditions, that are getting them off the floor after chemo treatment, and the fact that there has been no reported issues. So I don't really understand what the legislature is trying to fix here. Um, All it's doing is creating an unfair tax on our patients and creating additional burdens on so many of our patients that need this medicine um, to get back to their normal routines in their lives. Um, so I've pushed back very hard to the legislature, and quite frankly, uh, this is something that 71% of Floridians voted for. Uh, we already had lawsuits on this, and the courts came back and said it was unconstitutional to not have flour. Uh, the governor pushed the legislature to allow flour, uh, and now it seems like they're going back on their promise to the citizens of our state. The bill was approved by the Public Health Subcommittee in the House, but it still has a long way to go in the process. 
Guns and God are two of the favorite subjects in the state legislature, even more so when you put them in the very same bill. Such is the case with Senate Bill 498 by Joe Gruders of Sarasota. 498 would enable a church, synagogue, or other religious institution to allow a concealed weapons permit holder to carry on property owned, rented, leased, borrowed, or lawfully used by a church, synagogue, or religious institution. Currently, a person is not prohibited from, from carrying a concealed firearm into a church, synagogue, or religious institution unless it is specifically prohibited by the institution. This bill specifically authorizes the property owner to prohibit the carrying of concealed weapons if they so choose. Senate Bill 498 gives individual houses of worship, more specifically, property owners the final say on whether firearms are allowed on their grounds while promoting additional cost-saving measures for each institution. That is the bill, Mr. Chairman. Pro-gun groups support the bill, and Angie Gallo with the Florida Coalition to Prevent Gun Violence says there is a reason. She believes this is the first step in putting guns back in schools. We are here today to oppose Senate Bill 498 and House Bill 259, which, if passed, would allow concealed carry in religious institutions. Many of these institutions have private schools or host VPK centers on their campus. These bills would allow for citizens with no more training than that required by a concealed weapon permit on our school campuses and around our children. It is important to note that many of the VPK centers located on the property of religious institutions are funded by the state of Florida and our tax dollars. We are very concerned that this is the nose under the tent that the NRA has been asking for years, which would allow concealed carry on our college campuses and in our K through 12 public schools. This bill as written will also allow churches who lease buildings from public schools to conceal carry on public schools campuses during their church services. This is a bad bill and we are asking our members of our coalition to be very vocal in their opposition of Senate Bill 498 and House Bill 259. Carrie Boyd at the Southern Poverty Law Center says these bills have nothing to do with public safety. She says they're designed to chip away at laws that keep guns out of schools. Simply put, it would waive Florida's current prohibition of guns on school campuses where there is a school attached to a house of worship or on the same property. This is a slippery slope issue by design. It takes a bite out of the legal apple that disavows guns in schools as good public policy with the goal of additional bites becoming the norm until the prohibition against guns in schools is gobbled up for good. First bite. If this bill becomes law, it would allow guns in private schools where there is a religious house of worship attached around the same property. And to be clear, children who attend a private school or daycare facility with a house of worship or synagogue attached to the property would be impacted. The second bite, the measure will open the door to guns in public schools when these schools make space available to religious groups, such as with taxpayer-funded pre-kindergarten programs, at private schools affiliated with churches. Third bite, we know in rural areas especially, it is very common for churches to rent space from public school for events. Will people be allowed to carry on public school premises if they're in attendance for a religious function? These bites are not aimed at protecting public safety. Rather, this is an agenda put forward to slowly chomp away at the prohibition against guns in schools in the state of Florida. Gruder's bill was approved by the Senate Criminal Justice Committee. The House version of that bill is on the agenda this afternoon in the Education Committee.
One of the biggest concerns about voting by mail last year was the fear that your ballot would be rejected for technical reasons. Maybe you forgot to sign the outside of the ballot envelope, or your signature looks different than the one they have on file at the elections office. But University of Florida political scientist Daniel Smith has crunched the numbers, and he says those fears were unfounded. He discovered that ballots from voters of color, new voters, and younger voters were indeed rejected more often than ballots cast by older white voters. But despite an unprecedented flood of mail-in ballots last year, Smith says the rejection rate plummeted, and most of the ballots that did have problems were cured, so they counted. The cure process worked. About three-quarters, not quite three-quarters of all ballots domestic that came in on or before Election Day were cured by voters. And this, I think, is a testament to the yeoman-like efforts on the ground by various voting rights groups, activists, uh, the parties and the candidates, uh, as well as the supervisors of elections to reach out to voters who return their vote-by-mail ballots, either through the post or at drop boxes, to give them an opportunity to cure the problems, the deficiencies with their return envelopes. So I think that's all very positive. Um, and that's the result of litigation. Uh, this is not something that the legislature did willingly. Uh, it was because of lawsuits in 2016 and 2018 that led to this cure process that led to the ability to do so after Election Day as opposed to before Election Day. Now, um, looking at this cure process in terms of the overall numbers, as the report says, about 47,000 ballots that were domestic, that re returned on time, non-military, non-overseas, were initially flagged. Um, around 12,000 of those ultimately were not cured by voters. That's where we get that overall rate of about 0.28% out of the, the 4.6 million or so vote by mail ballots that came in in that category of excluding military and overseas. There are still disparities, and these disparities are the same type of disparities we saw in previous elections. Younger voters, those under the age of 29, about three times more likely than more senior voters to have their vote by mail ballots initially flagged for rejection. Black and Hispanic and other racial minorities, 60% more likely to have their vote by mail ballots initially flagged for rejection by supervisors than white voters. On the positive side, the cure process was working for many of these individuals. Black and Hispanic voters, at least the same rate or a little higher of their vote by mail ballots initially flagged for rejection were actually cured. So the word was out to these populations to be able to uh, inform them and uh, assist in getting their affidavit, their cure affidavits in. Brad Ashwell, with the group called All Voting is Local, says this study shows vote by mail is working in Florida and only needs a few tweaks, not the massive overhaul being pushed by the governor and his Republican allies. Dan's report, I think, elevates a lot of dynamics and issues, actually some good news about the system. I mean, the cure process is working. That's that's the great news. Some changes made in 2019 even improved it um, by extending uh, the time with which voters had to cure ballots with signature deficiencies. Uh, but what we know about legislative priorities of um, you know, leadership members and the governor so far is enough to say um, they're, they're, they're not heading in the right direction. Lawmakers and the governor seem to be focused on, um, rather than seeking to improve access to voting, improve 
access particularly of disenfranchised minorities and people who have historically had problems with voting, they seem hell-bent on uh, addressing non-issues fueled by misinformation to their base. Um, and um, it's all based on blatant lies and misinformation. At this point, um, I, I think you know it's in the data, there are some real issues. Instead of pursuing SB 90, which you know, would require every Floridian to request a vote by mail ballot again, uh, which will be a huge expense on, on supervisors, um, an unfunded mandate really, uh, rather than you know, addressing non-issues like ballot harvesting and um, you know, trying, uh, who knows what they're gonna do on drop boxes at this point, but I think it's clear the drop boxes were huge, a huge success. Um, every supervisor I've spoken to says that people you know, used them and, and they, they made access to the voting process better. Floridians turned out in record numbers last November, with vote-by-mail accounting for 44% of all the ballots that were cast. Florida's Attorney General files a lawsuit at the federal court in Tampa, saying the Biden administration is threatening public safety by making changes in federal immigration policy. Ashley Moody argues that the memos issued by the U.S. Department of Homeland Security and the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement will allow criminal aliens to be released into Florida. She claims it will cost the state millions of dollars on law enforcement, incarceration, and crime victims' assistance because the state will have to pick up the slack for the feds. Your calendar of events and Florida Man are next on the Sunrise Podcast. But first, a word from the sponsors. In Florida, if you fall behind on court debt payments, the state takes away your driver's license. But if you can't drive, you can't work. So how can you make enough money to pay the debt? This policy makes no sense. Let's end debt-based license suspensions and help Florida get back to work. Welcome back to the Sunrise Calendar. At 8, the Senate Banking and Insurance Committee will hear a proposal to create a system to track complaints about insurance coverage for mental health services. The Senate Community Affairs Committee meets at 8 to hear a bill allowing you to ride bicycles without seats. Now, under current law, you can get a ticket for riding a bike without a seat, even though there are some that are designed specifically that way for exercise purposes. At 8, the Senate Transportation Committee takes up a bill to preempt local governments from regulating commerce in seaports. This preemption bill is designed to overturn limits on cruise ships that were approved by the voters of Key West. The State Board of Executive Clemency, which is composed of the governor and members of the Florida Cabinet, meets at 8. The Florida Council on Arts and Culture meets online at 9. At 10.30, the Senate Governmental Oversight and Accountability Committee takes up a bill forcing voters to more frequently request vote-by-mail ballots. It's part of a series of controversial proposals that Republicans are pursuing to change the vote-by-mail process. At 12.15, a group called Small Business Pharmacies Aligned for Reform is holding a news conference about legislation involving pharmacy benefits in Medicaid. At 1, the Senate Tourism Subcommittee takes up a bill to extend the life of Visit Florida, the state's official tourism marketing agency. And at 3.15, the Senate Education Appropriations Subcommittee takes up a proposal that would allow parents to request that their children be held back in their current school grades for the next academic year. The idea is to give them a do-over for the year they lost to the COVID crisis. And finally today, a Florida man who was asked for his ID ended up showing deputies a package of marijuana-infused gummies instead. Witnesses say 40-year-old Demicio Lopez of Bonita Springs pulled into a Circle K at midnight and nearly hit a gas pump. When officers asked for his license, he went fishing through his pockets and pulled out a small package labeled Dank Gummies. There was also another edible called Medicated Nerds Rope. Lopez says he got them from his girlfriend who has cancer and a medical marijuana card. Deputies also found a plastic bag with an ounce of cocaine. He's charged with possession of coke and possession of a controlled substance. That's it for this installment of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.